Acts chapter 9, I'll be reading verses 1 through 6 and then making reference to the rest, uh, a good bit of the rest of the chapter uh, through the message. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, which by the way, this is probably one of the earliest names given to the followers of Jesus, the way, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Where are you, Lord? Saul asked. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. There are certain stories, phrases, and actions that happen in the Bible that have carried over through the centuries into everyday language, and a Damascus Road experience is one of those. A change of heart, a change of mind, a change of attitude, usually rather dramatic and unexpected. For Saul, this sudden and life-changing experience was brought about by an encounter with Jesus. You see, Saul was on his way to Damascus to expand his mission. And what was his mission? To eradicate followers of the way. They were the scourge of his faith. It was like he was obsessed he wasn't content just to try to create havoc for Christians in Jerusalem. He got special permission to go and to try to find believers in other areas that he might have them arrested and transferred back to Jerusalem. On the way, he is blinded by bright light. And a voice, a voice from heaven that says, why do you persecute me? Paul says, who are you? Who are you? And the voice says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And then he's given instructions as to what he is to do next. It's interesting that those who were with Saul heard the voice, but they were speechless. They heard the voice, but they had no idea where it was coming from. Right there in the presence of Saul and of Jesus, and they still didn't get it. It's always amazing how people can be in the presence of God's mighty, extraordinary work and not see it. And not recognizing who is at work and what is being accomplished. 
I realized a long time ago in my life, <coughs> there were times that things happened that, that excited me. Uh, things that happened in my faith, and I thought, okay, this is good stuff. And I would share it with someone, and I was quite honestly disappointed because they weren't as excited about it as I was. I'd go try to find somebody else, share my exciting experience, and they just, okay, that's good. What I realized is that what is inspiration for me is information for you. I've had my experience, and I've been inspired by the work of the Spirit. And I can tell you my story, but it's my story, it's not yours. And you will receive it as information until if and when the Spirit brings it alive for you. As the story continues, we meet Ananias, a reluctant conscript into God's plans. He will, following the instructions given to him, lay his hands on Saul's blinded eyes and restore his sight. As miraculously as he is blinded, his sight is now restored. And then Ananias introduces him to the community. The very people that Saul was determined to harm, he is now introduced to for help, for hope. Or a place to belong. You see, up until this Damascus Road experience, Saul was going a hundred miles an hour for God in the wrong direction. But God met him. Jesus met him on the Damascus Road. And we're reminded that conversion comes at God's initiative. It is God's work. And Jesus will find us wherever we are. Saul, the great persecutor of the church, would become Paul, the great missionary of the church. <coughs> it, it's really a fascinating story. You have a blinding light and a voice from heaven and a dramatic healing, a very public enemy of Jesus and of the church, who becomes an evangelist known for centuries. Pretty dramatic conversion, wasn't it? But, but what if that's not your story? It's certainly not mine. I was an adolescent trying to figure out how I was going to live in a family dysfunctionalized, that's probably not a word, but I just made it one, uh, by my father's alcoholism. And I was loved to faith by a church youth group that welcomed me and gave me a place to belong. My story isn't one that people will pay money to hear. 
It's not going to be the basis of a new Christian movie. It's not even going to make it to a podcast. Very different from Saul's experience with finding Jesus or being found by Jesus. I don't know that we ever find Jesus. He's the one who finds us. Your story of faith probably won't be much like Saul's. May not bear any resemblance to mine. And it's probably going to be very different than the person sitting next to you. We have held up Saul's conversion experience, this Damascus Road experience, as a model for coming to Jesus. But it's interesting that in Acts, this isn't the only story we're told about how someone comes to Jesus. You can look at Acts chapter 2 and verses 37 and 38 and 39. And as Peter is preaching, the people in the crowd cry out, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. I love how often all is used there. And then we're told that those who accepted His message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. A large number of people meeting Jesus and coming to faith a big public revival. In Acts chapter 8, we're told about the conversion of Simon the sorcerer, who is amazed by the apostles' teaching and preaching and professes his faith in Jesus. Now, the Simon story is interesting because he stumbles coming out of the gate. And is rebuked and asks for prayer that he might live faithfully. Later on in chapter 8, Luke tells us the story of the Ethiopian who is searching for God and is led to faith by a presentation of the Scriptures, and is baptized upon his commitment. In Acts chapter 16, we're told the story of Lydia, who was with a group of women who were praying, and the messenger comes to them and shares the good news of Jesus. And Luke tells us that the Lord opened her heart. And she responded with service and hospitality. 
Folks, I, I tell you these stories to remind each of us that Paul's conver- Saul's conversion, his Damascus Road experience was real for him, but it's not the only way that we find even in the book of Acts that people come to faith in Jesus. So please don't ever feel like you can look around at someone else and think, well, gosh, I, that wasn't like that for me. I, I wasn't that bad. Mine wasn't that dramatic. There's no one way that people will come to faith in Christ. Whatever your story is, is your story. The light that comes to you may not be blinding. It may be a light that offers you hope in the darkness. It may be the search light that exposes that which you would rather not have seen. The light, the light could provide direction for a new way of living. The light could come offering you comfort and hope. Each of us will experience the light of Christ coming to us in different ways. But know this, God knows where you've been. God knows where you are. And God knows what you've done. And He loves you still. God knows where you've been. God knows where you are. God knows what you've done. And He loves you still. He loves you still. You see, justice is what we deserve. Justice is usually what we want for someone else. Mercy is what we cry out for. Grace is what God gives us. Justice is what we deserve. Mercy is is what we desire. Grace. Grace is what God gives us. And I'll remind you today that God is more interested in your future than in your past. We're told that when we confess our sins and when God forgives us, that not only is our slate wiped clean, but God doesn't remember our sin anymore. Not only are they deleted and put in the trash bin, they can't even be found in the cloud. For He has forgiven us. And He sees us no longer as sinners opposed to Him, but as the children that He loves and has forgiven. So quit looking over your shoulder and look ahead. Look ahead to what God has for you. 
And like Paul, I would remind us that God has already put people in place to help nurture your faith, to encourage your service, and to carry the burdens. That's what we call church. God doesn't intend for any of his followers to be Lone Ranger Christians. God's desire is that we be part of a community, a place where we can know and be known, love and be loved, a place and a people that'll pick us up when we fall down, that'll help us clean up when we mess it up, and that'll walk with us along the way. My fear is My fear is that those of us that have been a part of the church, that have been welcomed in the church, and that's all we've ever known in our lives, is that it's way too easy to take that for granted. What I've learned over the last couple of years is how much those who have been excluded from community love being welcomed and want to be a part of a place and a people where they are loved. Saul had a dramatic Damascus Road experience. Christ comes to each of us in a different way. You and I may not ever have that kind of experience. But we will experience what it's like to be moving away from God and to encounter Christ and to have our lives moved in a new and better direction. Paul has a good story. But you know what? to you. Let's pray. God, how we love you and thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that your love never gives up. God, help us to recognize your spirit at work around us. Help us to hear the voice of Jesus and to find a life-changing encounter that redirects us. We pray in Jesus' name.